Today on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I remember this woman, one woman in uh, London and 42, and she came in and said, you know, I took the tube to come here today. And that's the underground train. And I said, okay. And it's a seven block walk from the station here to the hotel where you are. So, okay. And I walked, you know, it's not a big deal. But then she got teary eyed and she said, but it is. And then we show you the picture of her wheelchair two and a half years ago. She couldn't walk at all. And her MRIs with seven lesions on her brain. And then we show you her today smiling and laughing and her MRI with two lesions on the brain and no symptoms, right? So you reverse lesions on the brain sometimes when you do a functional medicine approach. I mean, they'll always stay with me. And then we show you diabetics who say what they did and how they reverse their type one and type two diabetes. I mean, it's called betrayal. And it's so empowering for people because you see everyday people who reverse devastating diseases by following these common sense principles. Hello, hello, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Jones. And today I talk with the Dr. Tom O'Brien, who is an international expert on all things gluten-free and your health. I love that he is equally passionate about lowering your inflammation, reducing your autoimmune risk as he is about quoting the studies to back it up. Unfortunately, we ran into some technical issues in the very beginning where he introduces himself, but I don't think that'll matter. You'll soon find yourself taking a long list of notes as he just fires off statistic after statistic and practical things you can do by going gluten-free. Before we get started though, I wanna talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that of course is lab testing. You see, testing is one essential way to understand the root cause of an illness. If you are an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, chances are you're placing a ton of orders with a ton of different labs on a ton of different portals. The Root Cause Medicine podcast is created by Rupa Health. Rupa is the best way to order, manage, and track results from over 30 different labs in one single place for free. Thank goodness, no need to create and log into multiple portals ever again. If you are a practitioner, make sure you go sign up at rupahealth.com to create a free account today. Now, let's start the show. Keep going, continue on the inflammation part. Yes, so the million dollar question about how do I increase the quality of my health and really quality of life is how do I reduce the inflammation in my body? Well, I feel fine. I'm not inflamed. I'd wager you $1,000 that if we did a blood draw right now, cutting edge technology blood draws, meaning very, very accurate, not the laboratory tests that are from the 1990s and the early 2000s, but the cutting edge, I can guarantee you, your immune system is activated trying to protect you. Inflammation is not a bad guy. Excess inflammation is undesirable, and doctors were trained, and it's the same technology they've been trained in since the 40s, to suppress inflammation. Now, sometimes you have to suppress inflammation a little bit just to function in life, but that's a short-term benefit. The long-term goal is to identify why is my immune system active? What is it that it's trying to fight? There's a whole checklist of things, and there's a concept that really comes into play here to go into the topic of gluten, and it comes from Professor Alessio Fisano at Harvard. He is a professor of medicine, Harvard Medical School, a professor of nutrition, Harvard School of Public Health, a, the chief of pediatric gastroenterology at Mass General Harvard, the director of the Celiac Research Center at Harvard and the director of mucosal immunology, that's the lining of your lungs, the lining of your gut, the lining of your brain at Harvard. Five titles, any one title is a lifelong goal for people at the top of their game. He's got five, and we think he's gonna win the Nobel Prize. We truly do, because he's the guy. He and his team identified the mechanism that causes this thing called leaky gut back in 1997 and they've been publishing on it ever since. 
many, many hundreds of studies. And Fasano published a paper two years ago by himself. Usually there's a whole team, but this was just him by himself. And this guy is so careful with everything he says, so he's not misquoted. But the title of the paper says it all. All disease begins in the, quote, leaky gut. The role of the protein zonulin in the pathogenesis, I mean, the development of chronic inflammatory diseases. Now, 14 of the 15 top causes of death are chronic inflammatory diseases. And all disease begins in the gut. So what does that tell you about the importance of the gut? Huge. Uh, huge, huge. And he gave us what he calls the perfect storm in the development of chronic inflammatory diseases. This is what they're teaching at Harvard Medical School. So the new people coming out, this is going to be one-on-one for them. They've got it. Whereas the gastroenterologists and the neurologists and the pediatricians who've been out 10 years, 20 years, it's like butting heads against the wall because they were taught the old way and it requires a paradigm shift for them to learn this, these newer concepts of how to look at health problems. So the five pillars in the development of chronic inflammatory diseases. First is your genetics. Really can't do anything about the deck of cards you were dealt. But doctors talk about turning off genes. You can't turn off genes. Genes operate on dimmer switches. And you can dim down the genes of inflammation. And you can ramp up the genes of anti-inflammation. That's really not difficult to do. You just have to find out what for that individual, what's the right things to do. So you can dim down the inflammatory genes. That's number one. The second of the five pillars is environmental triggers, which are the fingertips grabbing the dimmer switch of your genes. 20 years ago, we called it epigenetics, meaning around the genes. Well, it's the environment, it's the things you're exposed to that get inside of us. And the most common environmental triggers are what's on the end of your fork. That's most common, but also what you breathe and the stress hormones you produce and the heavy metals and the toxic chemicals that are in your body. All of those are environmental triggers that have an effect on expressing genes or calming down genes. That's number two. Number three, when you have the environmental triggers that are offensive to the body, they create this inflammatory reaction in the gut. 70% of the immune systems in the gut, 70 to 75, depending on the study. And that's because that's where we get most environmental triggers is in what we eat and drink. So that's where you need the armed forces to protect you. The Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, the Coast Guard, IGA, IgG, IgE, IgM, cytokine production, all these different branches of the immune system, they're just there to protect you. And they're mostly concentrated in the gut because most of the environmental triggers, number two, come on your fork and what you drink. And they create this altered microbiome, number three, it's called dysbiosis, which means too many bad guys, not enough good guys. When you have dysbiosis, it sets the stage all that inflammation inside your gut from too many bad guys sets the stage for number four of the five pillars in the development of chronic inflammatory diseases, which is the leaky gut. Now, Mrs. Patient, your digestive tract is a tube. Starts at the mouth, goes at the other end, 25, 30 feet long, winds around in the center there. Think of a donut. If you could stretch a donut out, one big, long donut, and you look down the donut, when you swallow food, it's in the donut. It's not in the body yet. And all the vitamins and the minerals and the proteins and good fats and the bad fats are in the food, they've got to go through the walls of the donut to get into the bloodstream. Well, how do they do that? That's the process of digestion. And digestion is, think of proteins like a pearl necklace. And when you swallow, hydrochloric acid in your stomach undoes the clasp of the pearl necklace. Now you have a string of pearls. And your enzymes act as scissors to cut that pearl necklace into clumps, smaller, smaller. So they're called peptides, smaller, smaller, clip, 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 until you're down to each pearl of the pearl necklace. Now, the inside of the tube, the inside of the donut is lined with cheesecloth. 
So only really small molecules can get through into the bloodstream. So when you eat a piece of filet mignon, and most of us chew three to eight times and then swallow, we should be chewing 20 to 30 times to break it down and mix saliva in there because that's the first digestive enzyme. But we don't, we shovel it down. So now, but you don't want those meat fibers in your bloodstream. That would be very, very toxic. They've got to be broken down into each pearl of the pearl necklace. Snip, 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 snip. And those pearls can't get through into the bloodstream until they've been snipped down small enough so they're not clumps of the pearl necklace. They're individual, the individual amino acids. But when you've got number three, dysbiosis in the gut, inflammation in the gut, you tear the cheesecloth. When you tear the cheesecloth, now bigger clumps get through the tears in the cheesecloth, the leaky gut, number four, bigger clumps get through before they're supposed to. They're not bad for you, but the form that they're in gets into the bloodstream and your immune system trying to protect you says, whoa, what is that? macro molecule, that big molecule. I better fight that. Now you make antibodies to chicken or to bananas or to basil or to tomatoes. It doesn't matter what the food is. Macro molecules getting into the bloodstream because of the tears in the cheesecloth, allowing them to get in too soon. Now you've got the immune system attacking this stuff that's just off on the highway. Your bloodstream's just a highway lots of traffic. It's all going the same direction, but it's like bumper cars at the circus. They're all bouncing into each other all the time. And your immune system has to find these macromolecules and kill them, destroy it, because it's a foreign substance that shouldn't be in there. That's number five, systemic inflammation. All disease begins in the gut. It's the dysbiosis, too many bad guys, not enough good guys in the gut, creating the inflammation that tears the cheesecloth that allows these macromolecules to get into the bloodstream, activating your immune system, trying to protect you. The armed forces are being called out. And because of the protein structure of the foods that come in, the clumps of the foods that the immune system is trying to fight, some of those clumps of food look like the protein structure of bacteria bugs. And so the immune system starts attacking it, but some of the protein structures of what looks like a bug or looks like that chicken, whatever it is, it's the same protein structure that makes up a part of your thyroid. And so the immune system attacking filet, in my example, beef will go after your thyroid and it damages the thyroid cells. Now, and this is called molecular mimicry, now you've got damaged thyroid cells and your immune system has to make antibodies to thyroid to get rid of the old and damaged cells. And not a problem, except you keep eating the food because you feel fine when you eat the food. And the result is this, this cycle, and it's your thyroid, if that's your genetic vulnerability and the antecedents, how you've lived your life, it's your thyroid or it's your brain or it's your skin or it's your hair follicle. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. This is the mechanism. The science has improved so much in the last 10, 15 years. There's no question anymore of the critical nature for every one of us to understand you do not want to focus just on symptom relief. You may want symptoms, oh, I'm really depressed and I can't function. You may need an antidepressant for a little while so you can function, but you've got to ask, where is the inflammation coming from that's manifesting as depression? I had a rough childhood in my mother or my father, or there was some trauma. I don't mean to minimize any of that, but that's not the mechanism that triggers the chronic inflammatory diseases. It may fuel them more. But you identify the mechanisms, where are the environmental triggers, and you reverse major depressive disorder. Major depressive disorders, they're on two meds and they can't work. They still can't work. You reverse anxiety. You reverse schizophrenia. Just Google schizophrenia and gluten. Here come the studies from the psychiatry journals. The psychiatrists are startled that these people are functioning really well. And it's somewhere around 24 to 30% of schizophrenics 
have a problem with wheat. Not every one of them, but some of them do. The last point to bring up from this article that Professor Fasano wrote, All Disease Begins in the Leaky Gut, is that he identifies the two most common triggers causing dysbiosis and inflammation in the gut are small amounts of bad bacteria, and it's called LPS, lipopolysaccharide, small amounts of bad bacteria, and gluten. They're the two most common triggers. And this is from the chief of pediatric gastroenterology at Harvard, the chief of mucosal immunology at Harvard. And this is what they're teaching. So wheat is in a category all by itself. There's no other food. Now you can be sensitive to many, many foods, no doubt about that, but every human. We have the same immune system as our ancestors thousands of years ago, the same kidneys, same gallbladder, same eyes, same retina, same immune system. We use our brains more so we have housing and we grow food and all of that, but our bodies are the same. They've not changed in the last 10,000 years very much at all, a little bit, but not very much at all. So our ancestors, their primary concern was finding food and then shelter and then protection. So they find something. First thing they do is they sniff it. Then they nibble on it. Then they eat it. But if there was bad bugs on there that they couldn't identify, the acid in your stomach is supposed to kill it. But if it doesn't, Food comes out of the stomach somewhere around an hour and a half to two hours after it gets in there. It goes into the first part of the small intestine. Right there, in the first part of the small intestine, you have sentries standing guard. I think of the soldiers at Buckingham Palace with the big red hats standing there really stiff. They never move. But don't mess with those guys. Don't mess with them, right? Those those sentries in the first part of the small intestine are called toll-like receptors, TLR. And there's nine different types, that's geeky. But two of them, for our discussion, toll-like receptor two and toll-like receptor four are in high concentrations, right in that first part of the small intestine. Why? Because their job is to identify bugs. So when our ancestors would eat something, if it was a bug or a pathogenic bacteria, They're just scanning everything that's coming out of the stomach. And anything that looks like a bug, they set off the alarms. And what happens when you set off the alarms? First thing, you increase the protein zonulin, which means you get a leaky gut. Why? Because it's a protective mechanism. When you get leaky gut, the cells open up a little bit. Water comes from inside the body out into the tube to wash out the bug with the poop. That's the purpose of leaky gut's not bad for you. Excessive leaky gut is bad for you. It saved our ancestors' lives every single day with what they were eating and drinking. So the first thing the toll-like receptors do is they increase zonulin to wash out the bug, whatever it is. The second thing they do, and you'll appreciate this, is that they activate NF-kappa B, which is the major amplifier of inflammation in the body. It is the immune system. It's like the horn. (laughs) The battle horn. The battle horns. Yeah. And then here come all the cytokines and inflammation comes into the gut to kill whatever has been identified as a threat. So that's what toll-like receptors do. Toll-like receptors two and four. That's what they do. Now, in the article by Professor Fasano, he says very clearly, gluten is misinterpreted as a harmful component of a microorganism. The protein structure of gluten looks like a bad bug. And Maureen Leonard, a famous gastroenterologist at Harvard, she did a literature review of, I think it was 64 or 67 studies on this topic. And she published in the Journal of the American Medical Association in 2017. And she said, previous studies have identified that gluten activates toll-like receptor four and leaky gut and increased inflammation. This occurs in all humans who consume gluten. So if our listeners are human, if you're a human, this means you. Well, I feel fine when I eat wheat. It doesn't matter how you feel. The ratio is eight to one. Only one person gets gut problems with a problem with wheat. 
The other seven get brain problems, skin problems, hair problems. So anytime you have a health concern that's just not responding the way it should to your efforts, you just need to test. Do I have a sensitivity to wheat or not? And the testing has improved so much. I tell people this when I say, you know, if I were to tell you 25 years ago, it won't be too long before I can hold this little black thing in my hand. If I push on it, I just push a couple of buttons and I can tell you within five to 10 seconds that the air particulate matter in Spiazzo, Italy today is 15. That's pretty good to go outside and exercise. Chicago's 44, so that's getting pretty close to the warning zone. But San Antonio, Texas is way off the charts. Don't exercise outside today in San Antonio. I can tell you what's in the air anywhere in the world within 10 seconds. No, I've got the Encyclopedia Britannica, and we take it for granted. But if I told you that in 1995, you would have thought I was watching too much Star Trek, right? But that's the technology. Technology improves. The same has happened in laboratory medicine. And almost all our doctors are using tests that were designed in the 1980s, 1990s, the early 2000s. They're okay tests, but they're not bullet laser focused on the money. New technology came out in 2015, and Mayo Clinic published the first study that I saw in January of 2016. And they said, this is a new era in laboratory medicine, and they have nothing to do with the money of the lab. This was just the geek saying, wow, look at this. Finally, we've got tests that are right on the money. They're very, very accurate. So if you have a health condition that's not responding the way you wanted to, you do the wheat zoomer. That's the name of the test because you zoom in on the problem. And it's the most accurate test in the world today. Now, I've not been to the East, China and Japan. And so I don't know, but I lecture all over Europe and South America. And at the breaks, I always go down to the vendor area where the doctors are going to see the new equipment that's available and testing. Now I always look at the labs and about no one can compare with the Zoomer test. So you do the wheat Zoomer, it'll cost you about 400 bucks. You go to my website, the dr.com, the dr.com. You download the information on the wheat Zoomer. You take it to your doctor and say, please order this test. I really want to check this test. And if they don't know anything about it, they probably won't because nobody's going to tell them what to do. So then you can order it on my site. We'll send you the test kit and we'll show you how to get a phlebotomist to draw the blood. And then you send it to the lab and you get your results. But I always want the doctors to be exposed and to learn about this test so they can use it with all of their patients. So that's the bullet point zoomed in about inflammation is a primary cause of death. There are five pillars in the development of chronic inflammatory diseases. All disease begins in the gut. There's too many bad guys and not enough good guys, and you tear the cheesecloth, and the macromolecules get in, and your immune system trying to protect you fights the macromolecules, and because of molecular mimicry, you know, there are six mechanisms, but the antibodies going after food or going after the bacteria in your bloodstream will attack your own tissue. That's the basic principle, and this is true for all autoimmune diseases that they publish on, every single one of them. This is what's happening, and the problem is that people are more inflamed than ever. Now, I'm gonna give you a jaw-dropping statistic here because you told me the age bracket of your audience before we got on. Blue Cross Blue Shield, arguably the largest for-profit healthcare insurance company in the English language, published a paper in March of 2020. It didn't get any press because the virus started coming out in March of 2020. Didn't get any press at all. But they said, we got a problem here. In four years, between 2013 and 2017, in that four-year period, there was a 407% increase, not 10% increase, not 20%, not 100%, 407% increase in the diagnosis of Alzheimer's in 30 to 44-year-olds. Whoa. Let that sink in for a minute. 30 to 44-year-olds, 407% increase in four years. I can't find any more current statistics 
than 2013. It's just, people are scared to death about this. And this generation that they're talking about here jokes. Oh, you know, I'm getting older. I don't remember the way I used to. Ha, 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 ha. How old are you? I'm 38. No, that's not supposed to happen. Your brain's on fire. You need to do the neural zoomer plus, which is from the same laboratory. Now there's a neural zoomer and a neural zoomer plus. The neural zoomer looks at eight markers of brain inflammation. The neural zoomer plus looks at 53. So you do the wheat zoomer and the neural zoomer plus, and you do an OMG. Oh my God. This is going on in my body right now. Yes. Oh my God. Oh my God. No, don't freak out because there is a path to turn all this around, which I just explained to you. Identify the environmental triggers causing the inflammation that's pulling on the chain that in your case is your brain. And that's the path. Now, you know, we've only got, as you said, like about 40, 45 minutes, but this is PhD level stuff, but it's not hard. That's what my book is about. You can fix your brain. I argue with Rodale for two weeks on the title of the book. They said, no, that's too simple. They said, no, 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 no. That's the message of the book. I'm not changing the title. You can fix your brain. And when you read it, there's over 300 studies in there. And 34, I think it is, tips on what to do. For example, phthalates are a category of chemicals used to mold plastic. And when you learn that when you put leftover food in a plastic storage container in your refrigerator, the next day, the chicken's got phthalates in it when you eat it. Or you wrap your food in plastic wrap, the next day, the food has phthalates in it that these chemicals leach out of the food. Now, there's no evidence that the amount of phthalates that leach out of plastic containers is toxic to humans. That's how they got away with this crap, is that they had the legislation passed so that you have to prove within a 24-hour period the amount of chemical you're exposed to is toxic to humans. It's not, but it accumulates in your body when you can't get it out very well. So to continue that thought first, so you go to my book, and there's the three URLs for glass storage containers. And you go to mileskimble.com and Amazon, whatever the third one was. You say, oh, those are, oh, I like those. And you order three round ones and two square ones and one for the pie. And you pay with your credit card. You hit send. It took you an hour, but you're done. You're never again will you poison your family with minute amounts of these toxic chemicals. Then you learn when you apply nail polish. The phthalates are in your bloodstream in four to five minutes. Now, there's no evidence that the amount of phthalates that leach out of nail polish into your bloodstream is toxic to humans. That's how they got away with all this crap. That's how they did it. And the chemical industry has poured millions every year into lobbying, so those laws are never changed. And this is called the Toxic Substance Control Act of 1976. It's still the guiding regulations at the federal level for introduction of chemicals into our environment. Never been changed because they make sure every year nobody touches it because if they did change it, these chemicals would be outlawed completely, right? So now give me a little girl, five years old, starts painting her 10 little fingers and her 10 little toes once a week. And she does that for 25 years. Now she's 30 years old, Chicago, 2016. 346 pregnant women in the eighth month of pregnancy. They measured five phthalates in the urine. There are many more, but they just measured the five big ones. And then they followed the, and they categorized them into fourths, the lowest, the next, the third, the highest. And then they followed the offspring of those pregnancies for seven years. When the children hit their seventh birthday, they were invited back in. They did Wexler IQ tests on every one of these children. What did they find? The children whose mothers were in the highest quartile of phthalates in urine and pregnancy compared to the children in the lowest quartile of phthalates in urine and pregnancy, the children in the highest quartile, their IQ was seven points lower than the children in the lowest quartile. Seven points. It doesn't mean anything to anyone. Until you understand a one-point difference in IQ is noticeable, a seven-point difference is a difference between a child working really hard, getting straight A's in school, and a child working really hard, seriously hard, getting straight C's. This child doesn't have a chance in hell of ever excelling in school. Then you Google 
phthalates, P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S, and neurogenesis, nerve growth, brain growth. Here come the studies how phthalates inhibit neurogenesis. Because she did 25 years of painting her 10 little fingers and 10 little toes and drinking water out of plastic water bottles and eating food from leftover plastic containers and food wrapped in plastic wrap. You buy it at the store, the fish at the store, and it's got plastic wrap so you can see the fish, but the plastic is leaching into the fish. And you start to understand, oh my God, these minute amount of chemicals I've been exposed to for my entire life. Then you ask the question, what is my immune system trying to protect me from? So on the checklist, it includes how many foods, what's on the end of your forks, most important, but then the air you're breathing, mold in the house is critically important. And then what kind of toxic chemicals have you accumulated in your body that your immune system is fighting, just trying to get rid of? I mean, that's the whole protocol of functional medicine. You want to talk about root cause medicine, this is it. Amen. This is it. Yeah, I'm going through it like this because I'm sure your audience is highly educated in the concepts of some of these basic principles, and I'm trying to tie them together for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When it comes to wheat, one of the things I just wanted to touch back on, because I know a lot of people, this is going to hit home for them, and I hear it all the time. When I was in practice for so many years, people would go, oh, I know I don't have a wheat problem. I don't have any GI issues. Right, right. right? Like The ratio is eight to one. But they're coming to see me because they feel terrible. Their brain fog is bad. They're exhausted. They can't get pregnant. Their periods are terrible. Their skin is a mess, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But because when they ate their cereal that morning or their wheat toast or white bread toast or whatever it was, the hamburger bun, they were like, no, no, I feel fine. My gut's fine. I feel fine. Like, I highly doubt it. And define fine because you're sitting in my office. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And it's understandable that we think when we put it down there, if it doesn't hurt in the stomach or in the gut, it's not a problem. That's understandable. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. Let me say it differently. It's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) What do you feel about, since you brought up the air quality in Italy and you travel through Europe, we hear these things about, well, the wheat in Europe is different, or it's the glyphosate. It's not actually the wheat that's the problem. It's the glyphosate. What do you say when people raise their hands and question that? They're making that up. They're making it up. Now, there's no question glyphosate is a terrible, terrible chemical to be exposed to, and it disrupts your microbiome, the good guys in the gut, terribly. And so it makes for more inflammation, more sensitivity in the gut. There's no question about it. But it's not the glyphosate and wheat. Glyphosate started to be used in wheat around 1994 and really kicked off around 1999. But since 1950 to 1995, there was a five-fold increase in the incidence of celiac disease. Five-fold in that 40-some year period. Well, glyphosate was only there for two years, but five-fold increase. Why? Because the chemical industry, better living through chemistry that I grew up with, those topics. So people are trying to make sense out of it. And so they're, you've just got to well, just read, read my books. And I summarize it so well in the books because I've read the studies. I'm just the geek that enjoys reading the studies. So, And when I started talking about all this in 2004, I was classified as a nutcase. There's no such thing as leaky gut. What kind of nonsense is that? And now it's irrefutable. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of studies on that. And when you have somebody go gluten-free, what do you tell them is the average it will take to just gluten alone start to repair and heal, lower the inflammation? Because obviously people want, they're like, well, I did it this weekend. I didn't eat gluten this weekend and I felt nothing. I'm like, well, (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) That's a good point. That's a very good point. You asked me one other question that I missed. I Uh, didn't answer it. So the European wheat. uh, Yes, yes. It's true. Some people go to Europe and they eat the wheat. They they don't feel bad. Where They eat the wheat in the U.S. and they feel bad. So they think, well, I can eat the wheat in Europe. No, you can't. There are many different components in wheat. One of the components of wheat is called FODMAPs, fermentable carbohydrates. And it's the FODMAPs in wheat that contribute to the bloating and the gas and the upset stomach. It's the proteins in wheat that stimulate the immune response. 
and all of the antibodies that go systemic, not so much the gut pain. And the FODMAPs in wheat in Europe are much lower. So you eat the wheat in Europe, you don't get any gut pain, but you feel fine. And you come back home, you feel terrible. Well, I could eat the wheat in Europe. No, you just don't get the FODMAP response in Europe. I've only had three patients that would do this that I remember. And you do the initial blood test, the wheat zoomer, you see all the problems that are there. They go gluten-free, they follow our protocols, and it has to be a whole lot more than just gluten-free. But they follow our protocols six months to a year later, not before six months, but six months to a year later, we retest and confirm. Well, doc, I feel great. I don't need to test. Yes, you do need to test. And so we retest and we see, oh, good, you're down to normal. Well, can I eat wheat now? I said, no, absolutely not, because it'll all come back. But they say, well, I'm going to Europe. Can I eat the wheat in Europe? And I say, no, and I explain all this. But this is what you can do. We just had the test. You've just worked for a year to get your immune system calmed down. Way to go. Your symptoms are gone. You lost 15 pounds. Your belt's two notches tighter. You've got more energy. You're sleeping better. All those things are great. And your blood test is normal now. Go to wheat or go to Europe, eat the wheat if you want. And when you come back, we'll do another blood test. Let's see. And all three of them that did this, that spent the money, it's about 400 bucks for the test. Their blood tests were off the charts again, sky high off the charts. But I felt fine when I was eating it. That's because the FODMAPs didn't cause the bloating. But your immune system is still trying to protect you from this toxin. Okay, so that answers the European question. Now, how long? should it take? The, the rule in my office, and I never put them just gluten-free, it's always gluten-free, dairy-free, added sugar-free. And the rule is if you don't notice an improvement within three weeks, we go back to the drawing board. Now, it can take six months to a year before you're going to feel great, but you should notice a difference in a short period of time. And if you don't, we've missed something. There's other gasoline on the fire, not just gluten. Maybe it's soy, maybe it's corn, maybe it's lectins, maybe it's mold, maybe it's chemicals accumulate already in your body like mercury or lead. I don't know. But you should notice a difference within three weeks. Which is great to know. I would have patients, and I'm sure you would too, that they I would put them on a gluten-free diet and they would be so excited to, they would challenge, I'm going to do it for six weeks or four weeks or whatever we would. And they say, I'm going to, the next day, six weeks and one day, I'm going to eat gluten and I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm not going to feel any different, any better. And time after time after time again, they would six weeks in a day of being gluten-free, they would eat all the gluten that they had missed and they would be so sick, so sick. Skin, gut, hair, joints, mood, energy, like all the things would just come out of them. And they were like, oh, I guess you were right. Even though we'd done the testing, we had done the testing. I showed them, well, I was going to say black and white, but usually it's red because things are bad and positive. They turn red, but they wanted to know for themselves if they were to eat it, what were the symptoms time after time again? And I know I get it. There's a problem with that logic. The problem is chronic inflammatory diseases. You don't feel when you've got elevated antibodies to your brain, killing off brain cells, killing off brain cells, I feel fine. Now, if you're lucky, when you do a challenge like that, which I never recommend, but if you do that challenge, you got brain fog the next day, or your migraine is back or something, if you're lucky. But you don't feel when you've got elevated antibodies to your joints, if that's the weak link in your chain. But you're developing rheumatoid arthritis right? It just takes 14 years before you've got a diagnosis of rheumatoid because you've been killing off collagen, killing off collagen, killing off. It just depends on your genetics and how you lived your life as to where it's going to manifest, but you don't feel the chronic inflammatory condition. So if you're basing everything on how you feel, you're very likely to be one of the numbers and they're not good numbers. No, I absolutely... First of all, I love how passionate you are. Second of all, you just quote the research like nothing because why? Your brain is super sharp, but you've been taking care of it. And I, this is hard truths for people to hear. They don't want to hear. They want to be gluten light. Yeah. They want to know they can still have it on Sundays or their birthday or Christmas. Or I only do it three days a week. It's not a big deal. I'm like, until it is. I mean, well, when I say this, but any doctor that says just reduce your gluten intake or 
a cheat day is okay once a week. That doctor has his head in dark places. He's not read the science. There is no basis for that whatsoever. A single exposure to an eighth of a thumbnail, an inadvertent exposure to wheat. Like Tricia Thompson is a registered dietitian that publishes great literature about gluten-free foods. And she took five packages of lentils. She bought them off the shelf, five packages, opened up each package individually, poured it on like a cookie sheet, spread it out, and she found four kernels of wheat in the five packages. And just one kernel is more than enough to activate toll-like receptor 2, toll-like receptor 4. And when that gets activated, you're making antibodies to your thyroid, if that's the weak link in your chain, or antibodies to your brain, if that's the weak link in your chain, for four to six weeks from one exposure. Just read the science. And you say, holy cow, how can you talk about a cheat day? There's no such thing. So I want people to thrive. I want people to have the highest quality of life when they're in their 80s and 90s. That's not going to happen if you live with those principles of, well, I don't feel bad if I have it once a week. That's not likely to happen. The quality of life goes down dramatically. The amount of inflammation goes up dramatically. And all disease begins in the gut. Yeah. And I want to just, once again, quality of life. People might say, my grandmother lived until her 90s. I'm like, but what was her quality of life? Yeah. Was she in a wheelchair? Was she using a walker? Was she very mobile? How was her brain? Was she in a home? Dementia, et cetera. Pain on painkillers because her knees were killing her and her hips were killing her and it was everything. Did grandma shuffle? Like These are all the questions. Sure, grandma might lived into her 90s, but what was her quality of life? And is that the quality exactly. you want to mimic? Exactly. You know, my goal is that when I go, it's really quick. Maybe I hope I go to sleep and don't wake up with a smile on my face. I hope it's many, many years from now, but you know, who knows? Who knows? But that means the period of disability is almost null. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of our population, they have an acceptable level of health in their 30s and then they're going down, going down 40s and 50s and in their 60s. And now their quality of life is already restricted in their 60s and their 70s. It's getting worse. Just think of when you were 10 years younger than you are now. What are you not able to do anymore that you could do 10 years ago? Well, my grandma lived into her 90s and she wasn't on any medications. How often did she paint her 10 little fingers and 10 little toes, <laughs> right? That grandma wasn't exposed to the amount of chemicals that your mom was exposed to when you were in utero with her, which affected your development and that you've been exposed to since birth. Let me give you one example of this. It's a little, it'll hit home for a lot of people. In the Journal of the American Medical Association, they published a study and the editor said, this is an elegant study with sophisticated biomarkers to prove their point. Now, the editors of the Journal of the American Medical Association don't say that very often. Well. I don't know about you, Doc, but- I, Ever, yeah. Yeah, and I saw that and I said, whoa, what's this about? So they looked at couples in assisted fertility centers and they ruled out all of the contributing factors like obesity, smoking cigarettes, uh, lack of exercise. They ruled out all of the factors that normally they'd look at and narrowed it down to one thing. They looked at how many servings of fruits and vegetables they ate a day and divided them into fourths, the lowest, the next, the third, and the highest. And they separated them between conventional fruits and vegetables and organic fruits and vegetables. Okay. What did they find? They compared those that were eating the highest number of servings per day, which was 2.3, which is not very much at all. And they compared the conventional highest category of consumption to the conventional lowest category of fruits and vegetables. And what did they find? If they were in the highest category of consumption of conventional fruits and vegetables, they had an 18% less likelihood of getting pregnant compared to those that were not eating very much fruits and vegetables. And if they got pregnant, they had a 26% less likelihood of a live birth. They lost the baby. Wow. Yeah. Eating more fruits and vegetables. 
that ratio was completely reversed for those eating organic. The more fruits and vegetables they ate, the higher success rate with implantation, and the higher birth rate. This is like, what? And the Journal of the American Medical Association editor said, this is an elegant study using sophisticated, you can't argue with this, that it's the amount of chemicals in the fruits and vegetables that accumulate in our bodies. We're all walking chemical factories right now of undesirable, every newborn child in America has at least 200 toxic chemicals in the umbilical cord that are not supposed to be there. They're not supposed to be there. And it inhibits development. So this whole concept, we need a paradigm shift. Yes. You can't just say, okay, well, can I take the vitamin C or can I take something that'll help? No. Yeah, of course it'll help. But you have to change the way you think. And you only do that. And this is the last concept. And then I'll answer any questions you have. (laughs) The subtitle of my book, I've got two books. They're both great. The first one called The Autoimmune Fix won a National Book Award. I'm very proud of that. The second one is called You Can Fix Your Brain, just one hour a week to the best memory, productivity, and sleep you've ever had. And that's the key to success here, especially for your generation, Dr. Carey, these people that want it now and they just want it simple, is that you allocate every Tuesday night after dinner, every Sunday after breakfast, whenever it is, but every week. And you tell your family, don't bother me for this hour. I'm going to spend one hour learning more how we can be healthier. And then you learn about the plastic storage containers and you're going to get glass storage containers and it takes an hour to order them, but you're done for the week. And then you learn about organic cosmetic companies that aren't using phthalates in their products. It takes an hour to order something. You're done for the week. And then you learn about houseplants, how houseplants absorb over 74% of the toxins in the air. And this is from NASA, because our astronauts were going loopy in space. They, they never talk about it, but they were going loopy. I said, what's wrong with, they're not thinking clearly, what's going on? And they found out it was the phthalates and other chemicals from the materials used to build the inside of the shuttles. And they were breathing all these fumes going right up to the brain, causing inflammation in the brain. So they financed the studies to look at houseplants, to learn, because they're not going to put houseplants on a space shuttle, but they could learn from it. And so you go to my website, thedr.com forward slash plant, and you download the handouts from NASA of the plants. And then you go to the nursery and you get the plants. And two six-inch houseplants in a 10 by 10 room absorbs over 74% of the toxins in the air. Huge. He said, well, I don't do well with houseplants. Well, they, they die. Then you buy more, but one hour a week. And in six months, you've dialed this down. You've changed the way that you and your family are living your lives without it being a big hassle at one hour a week. It's the consistency that will make the difference. Amen. And at the Root Cause Medicine podcast, we are all about practical and tactical. And so there it is right there where people, because they always feel overwhelmed that I don't blame them. You know, I say, yeah, I've been, you and I have been doing this a long time. You've been doing it a little longer than me. But when I've made the switches and the upgrades and the additions to my health and people go, oh my gosh, Carrie, that's so overwhelming. I'm like, remember, I've been doing this 23 years. You're just starting. You're in your second week. It's okay. I love that. An hour a week. And at six months, you will be life change. Just an hour a week. Just one hour a week. And in the book, it was to the best memory productivity. Yeah, but the book's got 34 or 36 to-dos. Like, here's the URLs for glass storage containers. Here's some organic nail polish companies. Here's the plant handout. All those things. Yeah. They're in the book. I love it. I love it. Dr. Tom. Where, again, can people find you? Where do you want them to go? So they're like, let's do it. Where can they find your books? Say your website again, all the things. Oh, thank you. Thank you. The website's thedr.com, thedoctor.com. Just don't spell the word doctor out. And if there's one thing that I would recommend to everyone, we did a uh, docu-series. My wife and I traveled seven countries and interviewed 84 scientists. I mean, the godfathers of celiac, the godfathers of autoimmunity, the real heavy hitting scientists. And I knew the questions to ask them 
I didn't say, well, so tell me, how did you get into this field? I knew the, so Professor Schoenfeld, when you talk about the dangers of vaccinations and you talk about adjuvant, can you tell us what adjuvants are? And then you learn at the foot of the master and again and again, and it's called betrayal, the autoimmune disease solution they're not telling you. And it's free. It's free. You can go to my website and you'll find the dr.com and type in betrayal. You'll find it there. You just hear from all of these experts. And then you hear from the patients who applied these principles because I interviewed the experts. And then I interviewed the doctors who were following these principles all over the world in England and Spain and France and Brazil. And then I asked them to bring in a couple of patients who followed their principles and reversed their autoimmune diseases. And so you hear these everyday people talking about chronic fatigue and how mobilizing it was or recurrent miscarriages. Or I remember this woman, one woman in uh, London and 42, and she came in and said, you know, I took the tube to come here today. And that's the underground train. And I said, okay. And it's a seven block walk from the station here to the hotel where you are. So, okay. And I walked, you know, it's not a big deal, but then she got teary eyed and she said, but it is. And then we show you the picture of her wheelchair two and a half years ago. She couldn't walk at all. And her MRIs with seven lesions on her brain. And then we show you her today smiling and laughing and her MRI with two lesions on the brain and no symptoms. Right. So you reverse lesions on the brain sometimes when you do a functional medicine approach. I mean, that'll always stay with me. And then we show you diabetics who say what they did and how they reverse their type one and type two diabetes. I mean, it's called betrayal. And it's so empowering for people because you see everyday people who reverse devastating diseases by following these common sense principles. I love it. I love it. Ah. Well, thank you so much for being on the Root Cause Medicine podcast today. I know without a doubt people have gotten so much from your wisdom. So I just really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Carrie. It's really a pleasure to be with you. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask before you go. If you love today's conversation, Would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? My whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing. I so appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next episode.